Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have special guest Kirk Bennett with us. Kirk has been a leader at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for years, decades, I believe at this point, and has helped uh, provide leadership and encouragement and mentoring to a lot of houses of prayer and house of prayer leaders. And I'm so excited to to just uh, receive from him what's on his heart and to hopefully grow in how to receive revelation from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God as well, which is one of Kirk's primary teachings that he has provided to the body of Christ. So before we dive in with Kirk today, look, if you're new, welcome. Thank you so much. The Presence Pioneers podcast exists to equip Presence Center communities to worship and pray night and day. And so we want to help you experience God's presence and host God's presence in your community. We believe God's presence changes everything. And so we provide these podcast episodes, either as short little Bible teachings or as extended conversations and interviews like what we're going to have today. And so if you'd like to stay in touch with us and receive this to help you and equip you, please subscribe. We're up on Apple, we're on Spotify, YouTube, and all the major podcast platforms. You can track with us and uh, receive and, and hopefully be helped by the podcast here. Also, you can visit our website anytime at presencepioneers.org, where we have all of our previous episodes and information about our ministry up there as well. All right, Kirk, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, Matthew, thank you so much for having me. I love you guys there. Back on the East Coast yeah. and, and just uh, the joy that you guys carry and the touch to so many places. I'm blessed to be with you guys. Yeah, it's it's a huge honor to have you with us. I know you have quite a history in the prayer movement and in the House of Prayer movement. You've been in Kansas City for decades now. I happened to meet you when you were on a somewhat short-term assignment in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Zadok House of Prayer where you yes. brought a, I don't know, dozens of intercessory missionaries from Kansas City. You guys landed in Charlotte, hosted 24-7 worship and prayer for a season, three, four, five years. I don't remember exactly. And then went back to Kansas City. And that season was actually very instrumental in my life in leading me into some of the things that I'm involved with now. And so I'm, I'm very thankful. It's an honor to have you on here. Maybe before we dive into some of the teaching and letting you just kind of share with everybody, maybe give us just a f quick flyby biography of Kirk Bennett. How, you know, how did you, how did you come to know the Lord? How did you, how did you get in the middle of all this house of prayer stuff? Because you've been uh, an encourager and a father to, to so many people who are pursuing day and night worship and prayer. And so just give it, people that don't know you, just give us a quick snapshot of who you are. Yeah, well, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and um, got saved in 1973. You remember that year, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit too early for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to say? No. Um, <laughs> We, uh, I got saved. I was attending a Methodist church, and our Methodist church really didn't teach much about salvation. But a group of young people came in, and uh, it turned out I learned yet later it was actually a spillover from the Asbury revival in, in Wilmore, Kentucky, in 1970. Yeah. They started sending out teams around the country, and a team came to my church. Long story short, I found out about being saved. I had no idea what that was, and we got saved. And then uh, began immediately after that, kind of following my brother along, who was saved a year before me. And, and we got involved in a uh, Reformed Presbyterian church that was focused in their young adults on worship. And it was not uh, with uh, worship teams so much as the young adults all gathering together and worshiping very much in a old school Quaker kind of view. It was when the, all the 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 songs of uh, kind of choruses were hitting the Christian churches, you know, like praise the name of Jesus. And we would gather and just sing these choruses like that for two hours every Thursday night. Wow. And that's where wow. I really learned about worship. It was all done a cappella and uh, started out with 30 of us and ended up being about 250 of us gathering every Thursday night to just mm -hmm. worship Jesus. And in that time, 
began to experience what I later realized was the gifts, had no idea what it was, where I would begin to experience the voice of the Lord speaking scriptures and or a song. And then that song would immediately be sung, even though there was no worship leader per se, it was spontaneously come out or that scripture would spontaneously come out and someone would share. And, and I, I began to learn uh, about 10 years later that this was actually part of a prophetic gifting on my life where I would know the next five songs in order that were going to be sung, even though they were spontaneously coming throughout the room. And I just called it a God thing, but I began to be hungry for more. And uh, then long story short, in about the mid eighties, I got so hungry for more in God. I was doing the evangelical thing, part of a church, you know, seeking to lead people to Jesus, but I was hungry for more. I was sovereignly baptized by the Holy Spirit in my uh, work truck. I had a job and and uh, was waiting one morning for some friends to show up for a breakfast before I went to work. And and the Spirit fell on me and began speaking in tongues, and which was odd for me because I didn't believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was just hungry for more, and the Spirit fell on me and began speaking in tongues. And and it was like the Bible went at that point from black and white to color. And uh, wow. I began to see things in the Bible I had never seen before, specifically the move of the Holy Spirit. And around that same time, I began reading randomly a book about the martyrs in, in the 20th century. And it was called By Their Blood, Martyrs of the 20th Century. Uh, you can still search it. It's still online. And um, I, I read that whole book through in about a day or two and began to see that the martyrs and the persecuted church was real. It was happening today throughout the nations, not as much in America, but in other nations, and that the martyrs and and the things of the spirit and and angelic encounters and all this seemed to tie together and was going on today. And my pursuit and hunger led me to a series of divine appointments where I got in, uh, got to know some people in the Vineyard Church, even though I was living in the East Coast and the Anaheim Vineyard was on the West Coast. I ended up going there because a guy tells me to come to this prophecy conference. And I'm thinking I got no idea what that I would be interested in prophecy, but I was interested in the vineyard music and the, the intimacy music. And I love to worship just Jesus by myself and with friends, even without any instruments. Not that we couldn't, but we just love to worship the Lord. And, and so I went to yeah. this vineyard conference and it was the first vineyard conference where the Kansas City prophets were visiting I began to uh, learn about prophets and prophecy and this kind of thing. I ended up, that happened in 1989. And uh, my wife and I, through a series of dreams, divine appointments, and this kind of thing, ended up moving to Kansas City in 1991. And have lived in Kansas City since then, all but four years where I was there. Four years. Yeah, which was the Zadok House of Prayer years, which is where I went met you, Matthew. And That's right. In those years, we uh, did day and night prayer. Uh, it was on the Morningstar property, the former PTL property. and But um, before that, was involved with the leadership here uh, in Kansas City and was uh, a, a trainer and that kind of thing, coaching people into hearing the voice of God. And so uh, that that happened leading up to then the Lord sent us to South Carolina. Uh, slash North Carolina was right on the border. And we were there for four years doing day and night prayer with young adults that half of whom came with us and the other half of whom joined us when we got down there. And we kept day and night prayer going uh, in those four years, kept a flame on the altar, just uh, praying and believing for the, the city of Charlotte and for the nation to see revival and to yeah. see the turning of innocent blood uh, shed that was going on through abortion and 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 these other things going on in the nation and just crying out for God to change the atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, he certainly changed us in the process. And, um, and then we came back to Kansas City, the House of Prayer, having started, we were here six years in the House of Prayer before we moved there. We've been prayer missionaries since 1999, since the House of Prayer began. And uh, that basically means we pray in all our finances, which in, in this hour, even if you have a job, you're still praying in your finances. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> living by faith in that place. And um, yeah. But we, we gave ourselves to this. The Lord invited us to give ourselves to this day and night. That's so amazing. my children are, 
or here moved here as well when we moved back from South Carolina. And, and uh, they were all worshipers and leaders in the body of Christ one way or another. And my wife is uh, uh, amazing, an intercessor. I couldn't have gotten where I got without her <laughs> getting my back and covering all my mistakes through prayer. And I understand uh, that. <laughs> at least most of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A few of them still leaked out to the public, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, so we've been married for 38 years. And that's kind of my that's story. Awesome. Been in and around my Bickles Street since 1990. Yeah. That's amazing. And you have a ministry called Seven Thunders, which is kind of your traveling teaching ministry. I know that there was a a, a season of time there where I was just devouring all of your teachings. <laughs> I got the, uh, I don't know, I think it was 50 teachings set on the priesthood that you did yes. there in the Charlotte. And, the priests. Yeah, yes. I don't know if I listened to all of them. I definitely looked through all the notes and listened to a lot of them, but uh, just a wealth of, of resource there. So, so good. And, uh, I, the first time I experienced, uh, harp and bowl, you know, the way that they do in Kansas city with combining worship and prayer was at Z hop, uh, there in Charlotte. And I remember, I, I mean, it was a, it was a profound moment in my journey for me. Cause I remember walking in, this is when you guys were in like a, it was very early on, you were in like a barn or shed, or it was a, I don't know, it was a different room than you were in before, but I came in and and it was they were praying for a team that was protesting abortion up in Washington D.C. or something so random. And I was like, "This is my heart was not engaged with it at all." But I sat down, and God, the Holy Spirit, just met me there and and drew me into intercession. And I remember just getting lost in the singing and the prayers and the back and forth. And hour hour and a half later, I look up and I'm like, "Wow, it's been like." hour or two and i prayed for someone i don't even know and i just enjoyed it <laughs> this is crazy and uh and that was that was a big moment for me and we used to come i'm, I'm sorry i'm talking a lot here but we used to no, come I to we used to come to the morning star worship conferences yeah you know which were amazing and but i would find myself sneaking over to the prayer room is you know, sometimes skipping sessions to come to the yeah. prayer room and sit in the room with 10 people. And, and God was just drawing my heart into that, of course. And, uh, and it was so good. So, so thankful for, for you guys and, and what you did there in Charlotte and all of that. So it's amazing. Yeah. Well, do you have anything to say on the, any of that? <laughs> just uh, yeah, tons because you're just bringing a flood of memories, but uh, you know, I'm there are sure. people who being realizing and they've not really had exposure to it, but getting exposure to to day and night worship and prayer, which I think the secret weapon is what you just uh, described, enjoyable prayer. Mm. Because what we enjoy is what we can do longer for sustained times. And, and um, just that enjoyable prayer, which is encountering the enjoyable God who, who go. delights in our presence and enjoys it when, the, when we're with us and enjoys showing us things that we've never seen before and giving us prayers to pray we've never even thought of. And when that happens, uh, just something happens in us. And certain people, you know, just come in and, you know, at first it's a little weird to them, but then soon they're going, I think I'm made for this. And yeah. the, the truth is, I, I think at least one room in heaven goes goes on like this forever. And right. I think it's going to be packed out forever um, because yeah. of people beholding that enjoyable God on the throne. It, it makes uh, his presence the, the very best thing about heaven eternally for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there might be other things that we do in heaven, but Honestly, I just, when I found that, though I don't play music professionally or anything like that, I don't play an instrument. I just love to be in that presence and worship God, even though I can't sing good. I just love it. And there's <laughs> lots of people that are finding that that's not really been available in modern Christianity for the last 50 years. And just a place where you can go and encounter God and enjoy him. And it's legal, you know, right. it's, it's <laughs> actually the throne room is legal, you know? Yeah. And, so, and so, uh, yeah, that's fun. Awesome. Yeah. So enjoyable prayer. I, I think one of the ways you've helped people enjoy prayer is through helping people encounter God through the scriptures, uh, through the word of God. And, and so one of your teachings that was helpful for me, and I know it's been helpful for probably thousands of people is, is your teaching about meditation on the word yeah. of God. 
And so I'd love to, I'd love to pick your brain on that and have you just kind of share with people about that. The idea of meditation for some people is going to conjure up some interesting thoughts because <laughs> to them, they might think meditation is new age or something like that, that we don't meditate on the Bible. We study the Bible or something like that, maybe, yeah. uh, which we do study the, the Bible, but we can also yeah. meditate on it, can't we? So maybe, maybe explain, explain to us what you mean when you talk about meditating on the Bible. Yeah, and uh, I can tell my story, but um, what what I found over the years fascinated me. I began meditating on Scripture daily in 1997. I was, uh, you know, I'd been a believer for you know 24 years at that point, and yet I really didn't know how to be with God for long periods of time, and. Um, I didn't have the word meditation in my Christian vocabulary. I knew there was some older intercessor ladies and, and some wise old men in and around ministries that I was involved with who, who would talk about meditation on the word. And, and I just thought, wow, that's a cool concept. I want to grow up and be like them one day. But I was never really discipled in how to use the Bible. I mean, I was taught, told to study the Bible. I wasn't really shown how, and uh, you know, I was told to pray, but I wasn't really shown how. And so it's kind of you, you, you figure it out and make up a version <laughs> that works for you, kind of thing. Um, but I, I found that I'll, I'll preempt this, and hopefully it gets your uh, attention, the, the attention of the listener. But if you think about it, you know, we're told basically read the whole whole Bible in a year. And I've done that. And uh, if you do that, uh, here's one of the things you'll find that there's no real verse that says, read the whole Bible in a year. And uh, that's <laughs> not really what the Bible says. And uh, we're told, study the Bible, study the Bible. And again, if you read the whole Bible in a year, you won't find really a verse that says to study the Bible in the sense of academia. Academia comes much later than the writing of the Bible, especially the first five books. And when Jesus was uh, confronting the, the, the Pharisees, he, he says this to him. He says, you search the scriptures that thinking that in them you have eternal life. And kind of what he's saying is, you know, you're academics because the, the, the Greeks really started the academia side um, in the sixth century BC. And, and most of the Hebrews were heavily influenced by that Greek teaching side. He said, you think it's the scriptures, basically, that you're going to pull out and discern in your mind the concept of eternal life. And he says, but in truth, the scriptures point to me, meaning eternal life is what he says in John 17, to know God and Jesus Christ, who he said, that's eternal life. It's not a concept that you can start, you can study out apart from knowing me, you know. So you find, you know, there's one verse in the Bible, really, uh, in Timothy, that, that says, study to show yourself approved. But uh, it's only the new or the King James Version that uses that study. It's a uh, word study. It's actually being repetitively diligent. That word study is, is talking about. And it's that diligence of living it out, walking it out, and being repetitive with the word, which is more the concept of meditation than it is to academically go through. And for years, I, I didn't have academic training, but I had a lot of repetition, a lot of pursuit of scripture, but couldn't really name, you know, I could, I could quote some verses and had a theology around verses, but didn't really know Christ as the word. I knew, I knew, I knew that was one of the names for him, but I didn't, I wasn't interfacing with him that way. Didn't really know how to. And, uh, you know, by the time you're 24 years old in the Lord, you can't tell anybody you don't know how because that ruins your <laughs> reputation. So, you know, I can move in the gifts and lead people to Jesus and that kind of thing. But um, I didn't really know how to spend time with him in the scriptures. Well, uh, just recently, in fact, I, I started tracing uh, a little bit because most of my teachings come from meditating in the word, not on the word, in the word. And uh, But I, I just did a little research on the word meditation in the Bible. And while study is used really one time in that Timothy passage and a couple more times conceptually a little bit, it's not really the instruction in the Bible about what to do with the Bible. In fact, the first instruction in the Bible 
about what to do with the Bible is God telling Joshua, Joshua, this book, meaning the Bible, the first five books of, of the what's called the Torah or the Pentateuch, the, the first five books, he says, God says to Joshua directly, in a, you know, what seems like a rather long, dramatic encounter, says to Joshua, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. And so we have really the first expression after the day and night cloud is the day and night meditation in the scripture uh, is, the, is really the next time that phrase is used. And it's God telling Joshua, just meditate in the word. And that's really the first instruction in the Bible about what to do with the Bible. Wow. Now, when you look up meditation, you know, in, in the sense, if you just Google that or whatever, search that on the Internet, you're going to find that the bulk of it is, you know, New Age movement or Eastern mysticism or the YMCA, you know, <laughs> sadly <laughs> enough, the C stands for Christian, but the YMCA, um, you know, having meditation classes and it's more oriented towards Hinduism and yoga. Um, the main difference is, though, that meditation in the scripture is is basically not about emptying your mind, as the Eastern mystics did, but about filling your mind with the word continuously. And that that is virtually like food. It's like chewing food versus swallowing milk. Swallowing milk, the meaning hearing someone else and they say something inspiring and you just kind of gulp and amen versus solid food, which the writer of Hebrews describes in Hebrews 5 as solid food is for those who by reason of use which is staying in that drinking, chewing analogy is the chewing of the word versus the swallowing of the word. By reason of use, they have their senses trained. Mm. And of course, in chewing, you're, you're using two senses primarily. Actually, three, there's the visual. You're not going to chew some if it looks horrible. Um, but, uh, you know, there's the visual, but then there's the taste and the, and the smell that's going on. And that's very much what meditation is. You begin to train your spiritual senses, just like natural food would change your, train your natural senses. Um, spiritual food trains your spiritual senses to discern. And so a value of meditation or chewing the word is discerning. And we see the word meditation used, uh, you know, some 15 to 30 times in the Bible. And there, there's good uses of med meditation, which help us discern, you know, you know, the warning of, you know, if, if you aren't close to God, basically, in the scripture, you'll meditate on terror when difficult things break out or when God moves uh, and because you, you don't know him. And, you know, even thoughts like the end times become doom and gloom. If you're unprepared or not in intimacy and really <laughs> and understand the Jesus returning is the bridegroom coming. And that's yeah. really good news. There's no doom and gloom of the bridegroom coming. Um, but if if there's not an intimacy through chewing the word and senses being trained, then these passages become scary and doom and gloom and all of these kinds of things. So there's an advantage to that. Psalm chapter one, which the book of Psalms is considered the uh, most desired book. Many times um, Christians have been asked if you only have one book, book of the Bible, you know, you're stranded on a desert island or whatever, you only have one book of the Bible, which book would you ask? And over 80% of the people, be they young or old in the Lord, will say the book of Psalms. And I think that's because you can find your journey anywhere in the book of Psalms, you know, anything from, yeah. you know, oh Lord, you are blessed and beautiful above all creation to God smashed my enemy in the teeth with a hammer. You know, it's all right. in there. And so virtually anywhere you are in life, there's a psalm for it, or at least a portion of a psalm for it. And in that, we find a relatability to God. If you look at God's strategy, if he made that the favorite book, then it might be good to know how to use the book. And it's right in the very first psalm. The verse first psalm becomes an instruction to how to use the psalms. Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the path of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. 
There you go. Of course, we all want to be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of living water that yields its fruit in its season and whatever he does prospers. We would all want that as a prophecy in our life. Well, the only way, according to the Bible, that you get that is by meditating day and night in the Word. And mm-hmm. so we have not just the, the instruction to meditate, but the wisdom and the, and, and the beauty of meditation. And so I didn't know all this. I just started meditating basically in 1997 because I was hired on the staff of the church. And uh, Mike, our senior leader, we had a prayer room. We didn't have a house of prayer at that point. But Mike said to the entire staff, which was a large church, we had, you know, 70, 80 people on staff in our church. He said, I want everybody in the prayer room for eight hours every week, just be in the prayer room. And I'm thinking I was brand new on the staff, had just been hired out of a job into full-time pastoring on Mike's staff or in this church. And, And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I get paid to pray for eight hours. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, that's like a day's work. And I could just yeah. pray for a day and I get paid for it. I'm like, I had the best job in the whole world. This is amazing, you know? <laughs> and I began to, you know, dream about what will I be like after a year of praying eight hours a week? It would be spiritual. And this <laughs> is awesome, you know? My, my, I'll be glowing with glory of God and my shadow will heal people and all these things. <laughs> I'm thinking until I went to the prayer room, you know, and I go to the prayer room and I'm sitting in the prayer room, which was just a little bit of music and people one by one praying on a microphone, these intercessory prayers. And I'm thinking, ew, what do you people do in here? I mean, it, it, it just looked so hard and so boring, if you can say that. I think that one of the reasons that God picked me uh, to be a messenger on prayer is because I was the least likely to do it, honestly. I had prophetic gift. I could give everybody in the word a prophetic, or everybody in the room a prophetic word that would be accurate, but I didn't know how to be in a prayer room for that long a period of time. Now, we could space it out over the week, but honestly, I, you know, I was avoiding it by Friday. I had to be in the prayer room every morning at, at 6 a.m. for six hours every Friday because I was avoiding it because it was hard and it was boring, you know. Wow. And so my journey goes on that basically I'm a full-time pastor, so I can't tell anybody I don't know how to pray or the prayer's boring, you know, <laughs> especially in a church that's known for prophetic and intercession. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there <laughs> grappling, God, what do I do here, you know? And I, you know, I, I began to surmise at first that, God, you got the wrong guy, you know, you know, in, in prayer, you got the wrong guy. You know, I, I, I have gifts. You don't know my gifts, Lord. I literally said that one to him one day to him in prayer. Lord, you don't know my gifts. I could be doing great things for you. And it was as if the Lord responded back and said, uh, I gave you your gifts. I, I'm pretty sure I know your gifts. <laughs> and I right. went, oh, yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> so it was just this battle on the inside with what do you do in front of God for hours at a time? And I, you know, I would I would begin, I would always sit in the back of the prayer room and the, the back had no doors on our prayer room. It was just the wall. You came in a side door. And so I would sit against the back wall so I could watch everybody else and try to figure out what to do. And I got up and started pacing with my Bible because I thought it looked spiritual. And really what I was trying to do was stay awake, honestly, right. at 6 a.m. Yeah. And, and, and try to figure out what other people are doing. So I walked the prayer room seeming to pray, but I was looking over the shoulders of everybody else trying to figure out what they were doing. And I realized, oh, I couldn't do that. You know, people were in there typing out their prayers on computers and, you know, laptops back in those days, you probably remember, were like these giant dinosaurs. They were like desktops now. They were massive and had this massive power brick that you had to carry around. I think a laptop without the brick weighed weighed probably eight to 10 pounds. And you know, here's people typing and I don't know how to type. And, you know, I type with two fingers till texting came along and now I'm back to one finger, you know? <laughs> and so, cause I got all the phone with the other end. So, you know, here I am and I'm going, what are you doing here, God? 
So one day there was a friend of mine. He had the same job I had. We were we were district pastors in a cell church model. And again, I had the gifts and I, I could minister to people. I just didn't know what to do with God. And uh, so I went over to my friend. His name was Scott. And so my name's Kirk. And we had, you know, kind of the Star Trek thing going on, Scott and, you know, Scotty and Kirk. And, and uh, we were buddies. So I figured he wouldn't tell me if I asked him a question. And, yeah. and so I went over to Scott and I said, hey, Scott, what do you do in here? He said, you mean in the prayer room? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, why don't you pray an apostolic prayer? I was like, oh, man, that's a great idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that. I went back. I sat down with my Bible, and I opened my Bible and immediately closed my Bible, went back over to Scott. And I go, hey, Scott. He goes, yeah? I go, what's an apostolic prayer? Because I didn't know. And I was a pastor. I can't tell people I don't know that. So he goes, well, anytime in the Bible it says this, I pray. What comes next is the prayer of an apostle. It doesn't mean you're an apostle. It just means you're you're praying what the apostles pray. And I was like, oh, cool. So like Ephesians 1.17, you said, yeah, Ephesians 1.17. So I go back over, sit down. I pray Ephesians 1.17 to 19, apostolic prayer. You know, it's three verses long. I look at my watch. It's quarter after six. I got to be there till noon. I got five hours, 45 minutes left. I come over to Scott. I go, hey, Scott, this was a moment in my life. I call it a life moment. I still see Scott once in a while and I'll tell him, hey, you gave me a life moment. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, Scott, what do I do now? He said, do you pray the prayer? I said, yeah, it's only three verses long. He goes, well, pray the prayer again. And I just looked at him with a weird look, and I went, why? Why Didn't God hear me? And this is what he said to me that day that changed my life. He said, yeah, God heard you, but you didn't hear you. Pray the prayer again. And I call that now being discipled in prayer. That uh, many people get discipled in doctrines, but uh, we need discipleship in the things of the Spirit, which is an interaction until you're confident the person can hear from God. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content, such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. And and so I went, I didn't hear me. Okay. So I just prayed the prayer over and over. In Matthew that day, one little phrase popped out at me. Paul says in verse 18, and I still have heard very little teaching on this and very few people who you know, pray this way. But Paul says, I'm praying, church at Ephesus, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Now, I have read the Bible several times. I've read that passage many times. Never saw that phrase that Paul prayed for the church, for the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened. And I was like, wait a minute. I never even considered that phrase. Never heard Never heard a sermon on that phrase, but that was the content or part of the content of Paul's prayer. I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding. 
And I immediately started to go, oh, Lord, what's the eyes of my understanding? And I just started praying, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding. Of course, we have a song about it now. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Yeah. But we didn't have that song back then. And I still don't think that even singing that song, many people consider the eyes of their understanding, but Paul was praying for it. And well, what's so important to Paul that's not important to me and not important to any of the teachers that I know right now? And, and still to this day, I can honestly say, I, I, can't, I can't, I've never heard of a conference that was just about the eyes of your understanding, which is the centerpiece of Paul's prayer. So I prayed it over and over. God, open the eyes of my understanding. Lord, as a people, open the eyes of my understand of our understanding as a people, as the believers in the city. And I just over and over, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, brand new thoughts right out of the scriptures that I knew were coming to me. And I just start scribbling, taking notes. And all of a sudden, I realized God is talking to me. Prayer is different than praying to God. And I realized I was taught to pray. I just wasn't taught to pray to God. In other words, interchange with him. You know, repeat the word over and over and then listen. And as I was repeating, suddenly brand new thoughts are coming. And I know they're not my thoughts. They're tie-ins of scripture and this kind of thing. And I'm going, where is this stuff coming from? And all of a sudden it hits me. God's talking to me. And it went from being prayer to enjoyable interchange with God on brand yeah. new, fascinating things. And I'm just taking notes. I'm not even looking up the verses in my Bible. I'm just taking notes over and over and over again. And all of a sudden I realize I'm actually praying as an interchange with God. And I realized that mostly what I was praying before was my prayer request and not even considering that God had prayer requests, things he wanted to talk about. I was finishing my prayer when I was done asking him for things, but never really considered that he might have want to have things to talk about. And all of a sudden, God's talking to me about things, many of which I would say at the time weren't even related to my circumstance in life. Yet they yeah. were fascinating. And I, I, I began to wonder as I started doing this, and you know, I used up hours that first day with just the eyes of my understanding. I remember someone asking me, my, you know, how was your prayer time? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I was just uh, interchanging with God on the eyes of my understanding. And they're going, wait, what? I go, well, it's right there in the Bible. You never prayed the apostolic prayers. And suddenly I'm an expert, you know, in the yeah. apostolic prayers. But it was just God's talking to me and interchanging with me. And I wasn't approaching him for theology correctness. I was just wanting to know what he wanted to talk about. And, and I couldn't always tell whether it was right thought or right theology or not, but it really didn't matter. And I realized that my approach to the Bible has always been interpret it rightly and, th and then, you know, you know, develop an understanding, maybe an outline of it or whatever. And that's that the point of the Bible is getting your theology right. And it wasn't. The point of my Bible was having conversations with God. Yeah. And, you know, and, and people have asked me over the years, you know, what about context? What about theology? And, and my simple answer now is, how many times has God spoken and violated your theology and violated context in speaking? If you look at most of the New Testament passages that are quotes from the Old Testament, they would so be out of context if you just had the Old Testament in front of you. That, in fact, what Jesus and the apostles were doing was getting revelation and contextualizing verses into people's lives and into moments in their lives, which is what happens with meditation. Now, God, God isn't condemning us for not meditating. <laughs> He's inviting right. us into something just so much deeper because it's not just the profound thoughts of men. It's an interaction with the heart of God. And that's what I realized God was inviting Joshua into. David was inviting us into with the book of Psalms. 
And that, and when Paul is in jail writing in Philippians 4, you know, verse 8, he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, which, of course, is the revelation of the scripture. That's how we define those terms. He says, meditate on these things. Mm. And he's writing from jail. And so the practicality that people many times ask about, well, what practically? You know, what's this do? Paul goes, practically, it's what you do in jail. <laughs> practically, <laughs> it's what you do in the worst days of your life. Practically, mm-hmm. is you meditate on the word and you find the enjoyable God in the midst of the best day or the worst day of your life. Yeah. Wow. And that's where I, where, where I learned access to the throne room. Mm. That John was, in essence, uh, you know, on the island of Patmos. And he wasn't going about his business in jail. He was pondering God and waiting on the Lord. He was meditating on the scripture. That's how you wait on the Lord. You just repeat it over and over. I should say that I found the simplest of definitions, which sometimes as as Christian leaders, we make it so hard for people. We make it so head knowledge, you know, you got to know Greek, Hebrew, and this kind of stuff. And the word meditation literally in the in the Hebrew language means to mumble over and over. How easy is that? You don't even have to understand it. God says, <laughs> just take this book and mumble it over and over again. You know, it'll go well with you if you do. Yeah. But what, what I learned is that's the way you learn God's language. You know how a child learns a language just by hearing it and mumbling it over and over again. You know, right. and he just starts saying words, repeating what he hears. Yeah. You know? and, so and that's what meditation is. Just take it and repeat it over and over again. I, pu- I put it into five simple modes because the Bible says, do these five things with the Bible. We're to read the Bible. We're to write it. We're to say it. We're to sing it. And we're to pray it. Read, write, say, sing, pray the book. That's what the book says to do with the book. That's what God said to do. Take it and just repeat it over and over and again. And here's how you do it. You read it, you write it, you say it, you sing it, you pray it. Fun thing so about good. that writing thing is my uh, my wife started doing this and um, she did it with writing it. She took the book of Daniel and she just wrote it out word for word, letter for letter. Just the whole book. And she got to the end. She said, you know, I feel like I know Daniel somehow. She didn't, she didn't look up commentaries and, you know, go to this and that to study. She just wrote it out. And it took her time, you know, in her quiet time. She didn't, you know, just diligently make sure she got finished. She wanted to interface with God by just writing his word, which actually a very biblical ministry that 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 Jesus describes as the scribal ministry. He said, I sent you prophets, Jerusalem, and I sent you scribes. Mm. The scribe, which of course was Ezra's ministry, was literally just writing the word. And we wouldn't have the book without the scribal ministry. So we kind of lumped scribes and Pharisees together and say they were all bundled together as these bad guys. Not really. You know, the scribes wrote the word. And, and Yes, they were religious in the sense that they had to get everything exactly aligned with what they were copying over or hearing. But without those scribes, we wouldn't have the written word of the Lord. It would have gotten blended, which is starting to get blended more and more since copying machines. But those scribes' integrity of heart and their, many of them, their love of the scripture, like you see with Ezra, is, yeah. is so valuable. Anyhow, so my wife wrote out the book of Daniel. She wrote out the book of Isaiah. She wrote out the book of Revelation. She wrote them out personally. And we go, it seems, you know, what purpose is that? We already have the written word. If you write the word, you'll read it more than once. You'll chew it slowly. You'll find things you've never seen before. And that's what she found. And And my wife quote scripture just by writing it out sometimes she she has so much word in her doing that and again it's not to win arguments 
She has a relationship with God from writing his word. Yeah. And so good. I mean, just imagine your grandmother, uh, Matthew, is your grandmother still alive? No, she's not. <laughs> but if you imagine your grandmother before she passed, sure. she came to you with handwritten scriptures. And she said, mm. here, Matthew, I copied these down. I want to hand them to Would that be valuable to you? Be amazing. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course we would. I mean, my my grandparents, I mean, my grandmother, she she was a believer, but my other grandmother and my two grandfathers, I, I didn't really know about any faith in, in the Lord that they had, but that would be amazing to me if any of them handed me a handwritten Bible, you know? Right. And, yeah. uh, and wow. you know, and if that would mean something to you, then start writing the book for your grandchildren. Hmm. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, and, and this is the, the passing of the word. There's something about the word that's living and active. And if we let it interface with us, that, that word becomes alive. Yeah. You see, I, I, I know the, the, you know, many times in the spirit filled camps, they use the Rhema word versus the logos word. Um, one of the first definitions of logos, if you look it up, is the 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 speech or the voice of a person, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, I want to tell you, the logos is a man, and he is mm. alive, and the yeah. logos still speaks. And if we'll take that logos, the written word, and just mumble it over and over again, we'll learn his language. And I've been in about 40 countries and I've taught this many times on how to hear the voice of God, just using your Bible and, and always have tremendous results from just, okay, we're going to take a verse and read it, write it, say it, sing it, pray it over and over again. You're going to take notes Mm. and, and, and people just come alive and go, God spoke to me. I Mm. haven't heard his, had him speak to me since I was 12 years old. He just spoke to me so clear. All I was doing was repeating a verse. And and I go, well, there you go. See, the Logos is alive. You know, so I tell people, you know, when you open this book, this book right here, there's a man staring at your heart, you know. And, and if you just start learning his language by saying it over and over again, you know, faith comes by hearing if you say it out loud. So when you get to the say, sing, pray part of the meditation, you say it and sing it out loud. Faith engages. You begin to encounter versus be inspired, which inspiring is good, but it's milk. It doesn't last. Mm. Encounter is the solid food yeah. that we can. So that's, that's my amazing. little spiel on the word. Yeah, so good. Read it, write it, say it, sing it, pray it. That's amazing. it. W-S-S-P. Yeah. And you've got, uh, I know that you've got a practical way that people can literally write it out on paper and, and take notes and that kind of thing. We're going to link to a video where you actually got a whiteboard and you kind of break this down even more. Uh, yeah. So people that want to get even more practical with it can see how to do this. And, and uh, it's so helpful and it's um, it's so enjoyable uh, to experience the Lord through his you word know, in I mean, that way. Yeah. It's, it's enjoyable. And sometimes it takes people a little while, but I tell on that little video, and again, it's only 11 minutes long. It's free on YouTube. I, I you know, and you can just search if you want, I'm not to cheat anybody, but just search yeah. uh, Revelation, Meditation, my name, Kirk Bennett, those four words. And, and it'll pop up with me with a baseball hat on sitting in front of a, standing in front of a whiteboard. Yeah. It takes 11 minutes to learn this. And I, I tell you, I've been doing it now daily for um, 23 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in love with this man that is the word in that place. And uh, that's changed me more than anything. Any any discipline I've ever been taught in the Lord is just taking what he said to do with a book and do that. Um Mumble it over and over. (laughs) Just mumble it. It's so, you know, we turn everything from relationship into a religion and complicate it. And then we can't figure out why our kids won't do it, you know. Mm. And if you look at 
you know, childhood training in the scripture is just mumble it over and over, you know, and you, you don't have to understand all the theologies. God will ruin and fix your theology 10 sometimes in your life. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like you're going to get it right when you're a young adult yeah. or even when I'm older, you know, sure. I, sure. I have it's a theory about knowing about him. Those. Yeah. 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 I have yeah. a theory about those elders that fall down and say, holy, what they're saying really is beyond my comprehension, transcendent, which those guys have been there for 2000 years. And every time they fall down, it's their theology is wrecked. They're going, I still don't get it. It's beyond me. Mm. And, and yet they're not condemned. They're fascinated with the more. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes my pursuit of theology stuck me in a place where I think I understood and I had it all figured out and you know, what's coming in the days ahead, what's hitting our nation. It was so unpredicted. And I'm sure there's somebody that says, Oh, I have a YouTube video guy who knew. No, we were, the whole church was unprepared and, and no one was sounding alarms and, and, and this kind of thing because God's doing a new thing. And, and yes, the enemy's involved in it, and, and so is God. The, the enemy can't shut down 200-some nations without God's permission. And, mm-hmm. and, and so there's something happening right now that's at least God allowed, and mm-hmm. he didn't tell us. And this should, this should make our response not, oh, we've got it figured out, and let me send you a video. This should make our response, holy is the Lord. Rejoice, tremble, and kiss the sun right now. That mm. we should be going low as the church and praying for our leaders, be they on either side of the aisle, whatever. We, we need to humble ourselves right now. And I think that's the right response. That's always been the response. Just kiss the sun. And if if it's a mm. bad day, kiss the sun. Kiss kiss this beautiful man who loves us. Mm. So good. Look, we have on you know, tuning into the podcast, a lot of intercessors, passionate worshipers, people that are involved in prayer rooms and burn 24 seven furnaces and all that. Just want to give you a chance here at the end of the episode. Is there anything you'd like to say to, uh, to the prayer movement? You've kind of been tracking with this thing for a while. In many ways, you're, you're a father in the movement. And is there anything you'd want to say maybe even more about sort of the season we're in or just yeah. What you feel like the best things we can do right now to position ourselves for uh, for the coming season? Yes, uh, I'll just say this: and a lot of a lot of prayer rooms connect with me and track with me. We have a little Facebook page called Revelation Meditation, and we do one verse for for a month on that page. You can just find that Revelation Meditation Kirk Bennett on Facebook, and you'll find that little Facebook page and click like on that if you want. But um, we do one verse and uh, literally people from different places in the world track with us on this and, and stay in meditation on the same verse. And our verse right now is, is Psalm chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Um, be wise, O kings, be instructed, O judges. In, in this hour is what it's talking about, you know. Serve the Lord with fear. And that word for serve is worship. Really, it's it's used several times for worship. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice, tremble, kiss the sun. And the, those three words, rejoice, tremble, and kiss, basically describe three types of worship music. There's the celebration music. There's the trembling or the majesty, that throne room music. And there's the kissing. There's that intimacy music. With him, and I don't mean carnal intimacy in any way, the world's intimacy. I'm talking about true intimacy with him to express and to experience his affections. And in this hour, the psalmist is writing about the day when Christ will inherit the nations. And I don't think that's day as yet, but it's, the, it's cataclysm in the nations when that day occurs. And, and it's, 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 you know, shaking like the nations have never seen before. Um, and the right response, according to the psalmist, when that happens, is rejoice, tremble, and kiss the sun, you know? And that we, 
these are the hours where we find him worthy of worship. Mm. And if we neglect worship, make it a second thing, make it something we just do for a couple of minutes on Sunday mornings or whatever, we're actually saying he's not worthy of it now because I got to get my bank account fixed or I got to get this fixed or that fixed. He's not worthy of it. If, if, you know, if prayer rooms and, 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 and worship gatherings close in this hour, that suddenly, and we don't mean this, but we're saying he's not worthy of it. He's not worthy of our praise. And then, you know, of course, there are places where the government's making rules or, or something about social gathering. But, you know, I've never heard of a place where you couldn't gather if you had 10 or less. Mm. So just gather with 10 in worship. But it's not even just that. It's the each of us individually as a priest unto our God is to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It's an invitation to a higher place above all this happening in the second heavens right now. It's not only wisdom, it's instruction to worship the Lord. And it's coming to the judges, yea, the judges, those who are who are trying to proclaim their narratives right now. And, and so to the houses of prayer and the prayer gatherings and the worship gatherings, I would say, here's the word of the Lord. Don't quit. Don't stop. Yeah. Find a way. If you can't gather in 500, we can gather in nine and gather together and, and find a way and, and where the Lord gives grace and, uh, and find a way in places. Jesus set the standard for legitimate worship and prayer meeting. In, in Matthew chapter 18, that's two or three. Two or go. three gather in my name. I am there. Yeah. And, and right now, you guys, small is the new big. You know, small yeah. is the new big. So gather in two or three. Listen, if you gather in two or three, and you have three. Um, so many prayer rooms. I've been to about 500 over the last 20 years in about 40 different nations. So many mm-hmm. prayer rooms right now just go, oh, we don't have much going on. We only have a few hours and there's only five of us. I go, you've, you've almost got Jesus's standard double. His standard was two or three, not five. And I said, but if two gather in his name, guess what? You have three immediately because Jesus will show up. And if three, if Jesus shows up to a prayer meeting, he always brings his dad. So now you've got four in the prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit goes, well, I'm not missing out on this. So he engages a prayer meeting. So two in the prayer meeting is automatically five prayer meeting. And I tell you, you get those five in the prayer meeting and that presence ministry to the Lord and his presence engaging. Don't worry, people will come. People will come. It's not how many is in the room, it's who's in the room. And you get him, you gather in his name, begin to interface with him. Let him speak, listen, adore him, speak to him about how lovely he is and enter that beauty realm. And oh my goodness, what will happen? You almost not want anybody else to show up. It'll be so wonderfully engaging to your heart that you'll be going, I hope nobody else comes. This is so intimate. And, and <laughs> joy that beauty comes. And uh, I still, you know, this year, a lot of trips canceled. But, um, uh, of course, our house of prayer has never stopped. And, and by the grace of God, never will, because he invited us to not stop. And, and in that, I, I love going to little houses of prayer where there's only two or three. It's so easy to engage with God. And mm. so easy to sense and have confidence that his presence is there and uh, have literally been around that. So number one, rejoice, tremble, kiss the sun. That's what I would say to anyone, anyone in the church. Because yeah. when Jesus said house of prayer, he was talking about the church. He wasn't yeah. talking about some special ministry that was started in 1999. He was talking about his house. He said, my house is a house of prayer my house so simply put if it's not his if it's not prayer it's not his house this is his house that's how he defined it and then then, you know i've been in times when i was in church and i go lord 
our church doesn't pray. And he goes, that's your house. That's not my house. My house wow. prays. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and people go, well, what? you know, we have an emphasis on something else. That's, okay, that's your house. <laughs> His house is a house of prayer. That's what he said. He defined his house. He wasn't just saying what they should be doing. He defined his house. So his house is people who pray, but but the, the Jewish culture and all along, you know, the best prayers you can find are in the Psalms and they're all Psalms. So that's his yeah. house. So keep worshiping and singing. If you're not, start. Because mm. it is what bolsters the church through the hardest days. And, and the church is facing some hard days in days yeah. to come. Again, I don't think this is the final seven years, but it, it could well be it's shaping up to be a birth pang. Uh, mm. One of those, you know, Matthew 24, 7 and 8 times. And so worship and prayer is number one strategy. And let all other strategies come out of that, that tabernacle place tabernacling with god is where he wants to bring the outreach strategies or the or the justice strategies or these kinds of things he wants to bring them from the place of union he wants to conceive in us his works that we could go with him and do them rather than working for him so worship and pray get your strategies from the prayer room not the board room in in yeah. in that sense, and and yeah. so and you know if you're already doing this or someone's semblance of do this, don't quit. The accuser has risen right now against Joshua, like in Zechariah chapter three. He's risen to accuse the brethren, and that can have both the outside towards brethren or him inciting the brethren to accuse the brethren. Don't quit. And don't buy into accusation. Just hold your stance before the Lord right now. If he tells you to go out, then say, I'm not going without you. If you go out, I'll go out. Otherwise, he's telling you to stay in and stand before him. Keep your stance before the Lord right now mm-hmm. in worship and prayer and adoration of Jesus. Yeah. That, that would be my word. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the danger, the intercession is you know and and some people are using that term the civil war and uh, if you look at the civil war history uh, of our civil war in the u.s the biggest problem was we had strong well-meaning christians on both sides of the civil war Mm. they would even sing harmonizing off of one another overnight as they all sang hymns on both sides of the battle line the biggest travesty of a civil war in the U.S. would be if the church divides and takes one or the other sides. Mm. So I recommend the wisdom of don't take sides. Don't get into the second heaven debates. Don't get into the second heaven accusations. Go yeah. higher than that. Pray for our brothers and sisters, regardless of their side right now that there would be a Psalm 133 brethren dwelling together in unity. And our unity, of course, is not to, to, has to be in political views. Our unity is in the love of Christ and in this man. Get affectionate with this man in, in that sincere place from the heart. Yeah. Embrace the first and second commandment and love the brethren. If you see what you think is a problem, pray for them to encounter Jesus. You don't have to fix their theology. It might be in this area. They're right. Pray for our brothers and sisters. If you have problem with the government, any governmental leader right now, the command in Romans 13 is pray for the leaders. Paul was talking about Roman leaders. You know, if there was a manifestation of the Antichrist kingdom in the time of Jesus, it was Rome. Yeah. Mm. And Paul's saying, pray for the leaders of Rome. Yeah. Pray for those who have been set in and over. 
this is where we must not take sides in this for the danger of a civil war and brother against brother in the family of God. This would be heinous before in the courtroom of heaven and would be very wrong. Uh, and so I urge people, don't take sides in the prayer movement. You know, worshiping prayers who, who've been called to that as a lifestyle. Don't accuse the missionaries and the, and the ones doing ministry outward. Outward ministers, don't accuse the ones who are focused upward. Do both. Enjoy or rejoice at both. Yeah. And so that would be my advice in this hour. Yeah. We yeah. got to rejoice. There's a joyful God yeah. on the throne right now. And he's yeah. got Something better for us than arming ourselves to fight the other side. Oh, my. Mm. Uh, And so thank you for all the years that hear this. And thank you for the Jesus lovers and the the Jesus seekers and the ones even who are hearing this with a, a pain in their heart against you or against Christ, Lord. We pray for for healing and wholehearted devotion from all your people to the true revelation of Jesus. Not a theology, but this beautiful man who laid down his life for us. Thank you for the cross, the blood shed, the extreme affection that we all experience and can experience from no one but you, like we can experience it from you. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So good. Kirk, thank you so much. (laughs) It's been so good. (laughs) You know, I wanted this to be the question and answer, but you said it well. You said, I just want to prime you and let you go. And I just tend let to you do go. That. It's been, but, it's uh, been so, it's I would been love so to great. have another time, maybe, where we we do Q&As or if people hear this and have questions and they yeah. send those to you or they can yeah, feel be great. free to send them to me as sure, well. Yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. And we'll be sure to link again in the description to the video on meditation and and to your website and all those kinds of things uh, so that people can continue to track track with you i appreciate that and i would i would just say um to the many out there that are in various movements uh would you pray for the international house of prayer right now Mm. because um we're we're under uh some what is pretty clear attack to us and it's not per se coming from the government or this kind of thing. It's a it's a it's a something that's happening in the spirit. And you know, it's odd to ask as a prayer for people to pray for you because that's what we do anyhow. But we need the prayers of the saints and we want no division among the brethren. And and so it'll help you and help us if you would pray for us and for that grace to continue. And, uh, and of yeah. course, you know, to, to be funded, to continue in this kind of thing, we're all machines. Yes. Right. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Over 20 years of 24 seven worship and prayer. It's amazing. Yeah. We want to pray for IHOP KC and, uh, and you yes, guys, we have thank you. Most. Thank you. It's amazing to us. It's a miracle. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Well, look, yeah. everyone, thank you for, uh, for tuning in today. Look, if you enjoyed this, please give it a share online, uh, post it on social media and all of that. If you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. If you're on Apple, you can give us a rating and review and it'll help this get out there and uh, and resource more people and help them as well. And don't forget that God's presence changes everything. 